Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome to the Independent Republic of uh, Mike Graham. We've managed to make it to the end of another week. It is Friday, of course. It turns out uh, that the Archbishop of Canterbury is just as much of a hypocrite as I said he was yesterday. Guess what? It turns out uh, that he is, in fact, ahead of the Church of England, which does, in fact hire people on zero-hours contracts. It's the same guy who called the gig economy evil. Now, mm. does that mean the Church of England is actually evil? Does that mean that uh, the, uh, the Archbishop is, in fact, the head of an evil organisation? I'm not entirely sure. Dawn Neeson is here with me, uh, and she'll be helping me through that one. Luckily for him, though, Archbishop, um, he was given a hard time by us yesterday. He was. Uh, so he's not going to get such a hard time today. However, it, not only is it revealed that that's the case, it's also revealed, uh, of course, that uh, they have shares in Amazon. He was having a go at them as well. So I'm sorry, uh, Archbishop Welby, but I'm afraid uh, things are not looking good for you this week. Coming up in this hour, though, we are going to be talking about something far more serious than hypocrisy. Uh, it is all about the medical establishment in this country. It's all about the National Health Service, because guess what? Uh, the cancer treatment rates in this country are the worst they have ever been. We are spending loads and loads of money telling people to get themselves checked, telling people to go to their GPs, telling people to do all the things that they should be doing to prevent themselves from getting cancer. And if they do find cancer, getting it treated as quickly as possible. But guess what? They have to wait for a minimum of two months, even if it is an urgent case. That, for me, is just not acceptable. 0344 499 uh, You're listening to me and Dawn Neeson. Uh, coming up, we'll have the Perrier Awards because it's Friday. Of course, you're listening to me and Dawn Neeson right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, a very good morning to you, Dawn, and welcome back to the Independent Republic. Good morning, Mike. Great to hear, and happy Friday. Thank you very yeah. much indeed. You're so cheery this morning when you came in. I was nearly going to give you a slap if I thought it wasn't a yeah, hate right. crime. You came in, you were so bubbly and full of enthusiasm. Mike, one of us has got to be. I know one of us has got to Ying be. And, Yang, and it's on. never going to be me. Let me no. put it to you oh, that come way. Come on, smile. Well, I can, well it's there's nothing to smile Woo. about, right? We have the Archbishop of Canterbury, who turns out to be a complete hypocrite, and turns out he's in charge, in his own words, oh, yeah. of an evil empire. Yeah. Right, because of course, apparently, uh, zero hours contracts are evil. Yeah, uh, he has zero hour contracts. Yeah. Therefore, you can only conclude he must be evil. Tax dodging Amazon are very evil, and yeah. they've got a multi million pound investment. And he in thinks, it. yeah, Whoa. and he thinks that he should uh, order Amazon to pay more money in tax, even though he pays absolutely no tax whatsoever. Uh-huh. But enough about him. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Hughes in Rygate. Hi, Hugh. Hi, Mike. Hi, Dawn. How Hi, you Hugh. Very good morning. What you got for us? Um, well, I was just listening to your guy from the cancer research campaign. Um, yeah. When he said we need a cultural change, yeah. I, I just about needed an emergency service myself. <laughs> yeah. The culture of the NHS is surely to cure people. Yes. Mm-hmm. That, that's why it was set up. The, 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 reason, the raison d'etre for it hasn't much changed since 1948. It's not a cultural change. It's a management problem. Yeah. Yes. You know, and a, you know, and a, a, a sort of a desire to, to get people the treatment that they want quickly. And, you know... It, the managers who are actually in control of this thing need to stop. 
It's, it, well, what I find yeah. staggering is that how many times have you heard that same uh, argument trotted out? You know, that it doesn't get fixed overnight. Uh, we need to change the culture. You know, I'm sick of hearing it, quite frankly. And as I say, I didn't want to attack poor old Eminem Samuel personally. Oh, he's on the he's on the good side. I mean, well, he's, he's not on the part good of the side. NHS, well, no, obviously. but he's no, but I mean, I think there needs to be a more aggressive stance taken by people like him and people who say collect money from people like us out on the streets of Britain for cancer charities. Right? They need to be more aggressive about fixing this. Quite right. I mean, you know, I mean, my GP is a nice enough bloke. He's very keen to take my blood at sort of uh, two or three monthly uh, yeah. intervals. Um, I hope if uh, he diagnosed me with a problem, he'd get me to, to, to straight to a consultant. Right. But you know, you hear things like that. I mean, what culture do you need to change? You know, it's it's not about that. They either haven't got the money for it, which is one issue, and mm. he could be complaining on that. Uh, or, or the, there's something wrong with the system. And well, if it's training GPs... I mean, there's no shortage of money going into the NHS, so it can't be a money problem, even well, though that's what we hear all the time. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. So it has to be a management thing. It's certainly not cultural. Yeah, I mean, but the, the management, the Hugh, have got a 10-year plan in place. A 10-year... I mean, how many people are going to die unnecessarily in those 10 years? Yeah, well, I mean, I, 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 like you guys, I've been in reasonably senior positions and I've had plans. And, and you know, the one thing certain about a 10-year plan is it'll go up the swanee in the first year. Yeah, quite, exactly. Well, in the, in the NHS, you know, it'll go up the swanee in the first two months, to be honest. Right. Let's talk to Ian, who's in London. Hi, Ian. Yeah, hi, Mike. Um, we have spoken before, the evangelical dad, but we won't go there. Oh, yes, I remember that. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm very, very Welcome well. back. Thank you. Um, there was a great, great show on BBC Two um, several years ago called Troubleshooter, where they had business gurus sorting out problems. Right. Uh, one of them was Can. It's called Can Jerry Robinson, uh, the chap that used to run Coca-Cola, save the NHS, and it was filmed okay. over mm-hmm. a twelve-month period. Right. Um, they gave him a ward up in the northeast of England, three hospitals that were hemorrhaging money, that were in deficit. Um, he had to reorganise the whole thing, and they didn't give him any... And the whole criteria was that he had to reorganise it without any additional resources, okay. and not by sacking and not by sacking everyone to, to save costs. And he did it successfully. Um, and, and if, if I just Google show, Barry uh, Robertson saved the NHS. If you understand the problems in the NHS, you are absolutely right. It's all about management yeah. or lack of management. Mm. The money's not the issue. They've got loads of money, but it's just not used well. And he proved that and demonstrated that. And that, and that really should be a signature of what needs to be done nationally, not just in that single yeah. ward. No, you're absolutely right. And I mean, uh, as we've been finding out just this morning, in a very, very small way, you know, decisions that are made at a very local level, like at GP level, where they're so concerned about not spending money and not referring people who really don't need it, you know, uh, they end up costing themselves millions, probably. Yeah. Yeah. But there have been lots yeah, of exa- sorry to interrupt. There have been lots of examples of businessmen going into hospitals and giving them a plan and nothing happens. Right. This is what you should no. be doing and nothing it's changes. The culture. It's the culture. Mm. The culture. Well, he, he was there for 12 months, took him 12 months. At the end of it, he said he would never do it again. It was the hardest thing he had sure. ever done in his life. Right. Um, and I'm sure he wasn't rewarded handsomely for it. No. No. And, and I bet uh, nothing changed in those hospitals either after no, he left. Probably not. Um, well, no, 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 no. That, that was the whole point of the show. In the, it was three episodes. The final episode where they actually showed the implementation of the changes that he'd been putting forward 
forward for, for six months. But getting everybody to embrace those changes was an absolute nightmare. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but, but he did it. He did it. And that was the point. It can be done. Interesting. Well, I'm sure it can be on. done, Ian. Mm. Thanks very much indeed. I mean, we're reading this morning as well uh, in terms of where they prioritise. And I know this might be considered to be uh, a slightly frivolous story, but there's a, a, a hospital trust down in Cornwall uh, who's talking about changing the pastry on the Cornish pasties I, I inside the hospital because, oh. you know, obviously it might be unhealthy for people to eat. On the same day that you're being told you might discover a lump in your breast and you've got three months before anything's done about it, down in Cornwall they're worried about the pastry on the Cornish pasties and they're actually spending money debating this yeah. and changing the well, menus. Well, they should change it from um, shortcrust pastry sorry, to phyllo pastry. I mean, do get me, me in there a favour. Sort, sort me lump out, please. Yeah. Don't tell me what I should be eating while I'm dying, OK? If I'm dying, <laughs> I'll eat what the bloody hell I like. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We don't have that type of psychological romance. No romance, no romance, no romance for me. Mama, come on, baby, tell me what's the word I want. 0344 is the number. We're going to come back to the phones in a moment. But before we do anything at all, Dawn, uh, we're going to check in with uh, Talk Radio's very own uh, man on the spot, newsman Alex Dibble. He's Good. down uh, outside Brixton Prison uh, where there's a massive demonstration going on uh, because there's so much violence now in the prison world. Uh, the prison officers are out there in force absolutely uh, waving placards and shouting. Uh, very good morning to you, Alex. Welcome back to uh, uh, the world's greatest radio station. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mike. Good morning. That's right. I'm outside Brixton Jail in South London. Some I should people say, say you should be inside, inside it, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the prison officers, I should say, at this current moment are actually inside. Uh, one of the reasons for that, one of the main reasons, is that the government has been very clear today to all prison officers across the country who are striking that they are breaking the law by withholding uh, their, their, their work from inside the jails. And it's, it, it's one of those things in this country where in order to sort of maintain public order, there is an act that means it's illegal for prison officers to go on strike. That's how much they're risking today by protesting. Although you heard from uh, Steve Gillen from the Prison Officers Association in, in the news there with Rachel, that they're calling it more of a, a protest meeting, if you like, to try and get round the idea that it is actually a full-on strike. But people up and down the country, Liverpool, Manchester, London, you name it, Birmingham, have been outside prison saying it's got too much. There's too much violence in our jails. And the system, as they said in 2016, Mike, they're saying again today it is in meltdown, essentially. So exactly what are they planning for the rest of the day? I mean, what's it like inside the prison if they're protesting? Are they doing no work at all? Are the prisoners all locked in their cells and not able to come out or what? Well, the Prison Officers Association has been really, really clear today in, in saying that there is enough staff just inside the prisons to make sure that prisoners can get hold of medication if they need it and also uh, to deal with disorder if there is any. But very much a skeleton staff, if you like, in, in hundreds of prisons across the country. And, and that's, again, you know, they're putting their own safety on the line, if you like, 
if, if a big group of them goes outside to protest, as many of them have today, that leaves fewer of them inside to deal with, um, you know, the, the regular running of, of the jails. But it, it's got to a point, the prison officers are saying, where there's too much violence. Just some stats for you, Mike. You know, attacks um, in prisons has, has gone up. I mean, the, the statistics are per 1,000 prisoners, there's been nearly 50 attacks inside prisons this year in, in 2018. And that's gone up from just, for example, five years ago, it was only 15. So it's nearly, it's trebled essentially in five years. And the prison officers are saying enough's enough. You know, the government has overseen a demise over the last eight years with cuts. And it's just got to the stage where we can't cope anymore and, and the public are going to suffer. So basically it's, le- it's less staff that have, have, have left this rise in violence in the prisons. I think it's a combination of factors, one being a huge one being less staff. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point yesterday where the chief inspector of prisons um, said that there was, he issued an urgent notification notice on HMP Bedford that things had just disintegrated so much that the situation was, was appalling. And funnily enough, with HMP Bedford, this was the same prison that two years ago uh, there was a riot and almost a million pounds worth of damage was caused in yeah. November 2016. But yesterday the chief inspector said there was a smell of drugs pervading some of the wings and, and there was a rat infestation as well. So that gives you an idea of just how bad things are in some of the jails in this country. Mm. And, and was there a strong display of unity amongst the prison officers down there at Brixton, Alex? Did, did most of them seem to be walking out? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's been remarkable unity from prison officers across the country. They're very much in it together. Um, whether, you know, one prison happens to be slightly worse than, than another in terms of violence, for example, we've had huge problems at HMB Birmingham recently, um, this year in particular, but they, they are all in the same boat, and that's why their action and their calls to the government uh, ring so loudly, um, especially amongst the public, because they're saying that it's, it's too much, that they're in danger, and of course, when yeah. they're in danger and people then decide that, you know, do you know what, this career is not for me anymore, I can't risk this, mm. then the situation just spirals and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Mm. Shocking state of affairs. Thanks mm. very much indeed. Thanks, Alex Dibble, live from Brixton Prison, where the uh, demonstration is actually going on inside the prison rather than outside, uh, because apparently the government have, have, have said, oh, no, you can't properly go on strike because you're one of the sort of, you know, sort of quasi-emergency well, services. It's, it's, yeah, it's like police officers and firefighters, yeah. isn't it? They can't go on strike. Well, firemen go on strike on a fairly Can regular they? basis. Yeah, do you remember when the now. army said to go to, in? Yes. I mean, I, I don't, unless they've been stopped from doing uh, yeah, it relatively sure. recently, I, I don't believe so. Uh, police officers, I think, quite rightly, are not allowed to yes. strike, and they shouldn't either. Uh, let's go back to the phones, though. 0344 499 1000. Mark is in Bristol. Hello, Mark. Morning, Mike. Morning. Hello. Morning. Hour zone. Yeah, oh. have they got them in Bristol? Oh, they're all over the place. Yeah. All over the place. And it's ruining, ruining Bristol completely. Yeah, I bet. 20 mile an hour, 20 mile an hour zones are dreadful for, uh, for many, many reasons. Uh, I'll give I'll give you give you a few. First and foremost, uh, I'm a courier, yeah. and I, for me uh, and many other people trying to get goods and services to to, to uh, uh, premises inside Bristol area and and many other cities within within the UK, 20 mile an hour zones with large diesel engines is just a no no. You can't. It, it produces more, if anything, it produces more um, CO2 yeah. than. Than, than driving at 30 mile an hour because it, the engines are higher revving. Sure. And and because the particularly and apologies to to some of the females out there, but uh, I can I can say 
certainly the Vox, if you can remember the old uh, Allegra, the Austin Allegra car. I can remember yeah. that. Yeah, one of the worst yeah. cars ever made. Absolutely. Can you remember the flat cap drivers? We used to take the mickey out of them because, you know, they, they were the old, the old drivers that used to drive along uh, at stupid miles an hour. Yes. I.e. time, you know, small, you know, roundabouts about 20 miles an hour. Well, now you've got the Blue Rinse Brigade in the, in the, in the small little Igos or the I-10s or, or the small vehicles that can do that can actually travel at 10 miles an hour. Well, because they're 10 miles an hour, they drive at 10 miles an hour and they can do it. And it, it, you get long queues of traffic behind them and all creating more and more, um, more exhausts because some idiot in front can do 10 miles an hour in a car in a 20 mile an hour zone. I've overtaken them before. But I, have overtake, I have overtaken vehicles doing 10 mile an hour in a 20 mile an hour zone. But the Blue Rinse Brigade can include both sexes there, can't it? We're not implying that women are any far worse drivers than men, are we? I hope. That's, no, 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 no. That, no. That's Paris what, thought that's you'd why, do that. That's why I said the old, the old Alec, uh, uh, the Austin, um, uh, yeah. 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 The Austin Brigade. Thank well, you. Yeah. Just wanted to clarify. Yeah. And also, do you find, Mark, because if you drive for a living, you, I'm sure you will find, do you find yourself kind of zoning out? when you're in one of these 20-mile-per-hour zones because you're not really paying as much attention because you're driving slower. I'd, I'd like to agree with you, Mike, but I don't. And no, um, you, you do pay more attention in, in a 20-mile-an-hour 20 zone, but I, I equally pay the same amount of attention in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. I can't... There's just no, no way. I mean, you can stop on a sixpence. Uh, in vehicles nowadays. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so the whole the whole point of a 20-mile-an-hour zone is just... It's just a money-making scheme. Yeah. And it's uh, talking you, of you, money, is it affecting your business, Mike? Obviously, if you're a courier, I mean, you're sort of like taking longer to get things around. No, Mike sat next to you. I'm Mark. Mark, sorry. <laughs> Thank you for pointing sorry. out, Mark. I didn't want to do that because oh, I look. thought, you know, I do that all the time. It's so, so Friday. I'm not going to do it. It's Friday. Come on. <laughs> That's made my day, that. One for next week's <laughs> Perrier Awards. So, yeah. Oh, I might, I might get a mention then. But anyway, no, no, <laughs> but, but going, going back, seriously, it does affect my business, yes, because you can't you can't get to where you need to go. I mean, there's more and more yellow lines everywhere, yeah. but you can't park, you can't stop anywhere. Right. You get consequently the vehicles then, um, and and it's, I'm sorry to say this, but there are so so many disabled badge drivers. Parking. Well, there's going to be more of those. Don't worry, Mark. But they're, they're parking everywhere, literally. Yeah. But they start parking over loading bays. And so our loading bays are gone, so we can't park anywhere. Yeah. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. Trying try, try to offload the goods and services that we need to do to, to other people is just a nightmare. Yeah. But the 20-mile-an-hour zone is just exasperating everything. And it's, it's it's just getting worse and worse. Yeah, I know. And, mm-hmm. pe- and the, the thing is, it seems to be um, people t- try to keep people behind them when they're driving. For instance... Uh, they'll they'll slow right down and try to keep that person behind them. And as soon as they go to overtake them, they'll they accelerate. Yeah, yeah, but that is quite but fun. Why, and sometimes. that is why. No, but that is why we're having more problems on the roads and more accidents. Mark, thanks very much indeed. Thank you, Mark. Very interesting point of view there from a courier uh, who called Mark. Called Mark, who sees it. <laughs> and I mean, you should be able to remember the name Mark, shouldn't you? Because Mark is a name that I'm you married one. I'm trying use to get it quite a lot. Maybe there's something uh, Freudian going on there. You oh, don't very much the word so. Mark. Mike. Uh, uh, Mike. Mike is my name. <laughs> His name is Mark. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, so we haven't had a chance really to talk properly about. Uh, 
uh, the couple from uh, from Russia who are appearing no. on some of the front pages this yes. morning because uh, probably not. I mean, it broke sort of during our show yesterday when Daisy was here. Yeah. Um, but actually, having been able to now watch more or less the entire interview on Russia Today, I mean, it's quite remarkable, isn't it? It is. It Absolutely is, astonishing. It is. It is. It, it's not, it is funny, but it's not funny because obviously there's a serious side to this. There but is. It, it's like. Really, they expect us to believe they were just nipping down there for a day trip to see Salisbury Cathedral yeah. and Stonehenge if they could put, fit it in. They couldn't walk there, they though. They couldn't walk there because the snow was so deep. They're from Russia. Yeah. Uh, and then they end up going in totally the opposite direction and uh, and, and smearing Novacek over some random door, as yeah. you do. As you do. Although, of course, that wasn't them. That was some other no, no, that was No, that wasn't them, no. no. Yeah, very, very bizarre. Yes. Anyway, listen, let's talk to Greg Hurst about matters far more important than international diplomacy. Uh, he's the social affairs editor at the Times, and it turns out, uh, and I'm sure uh, that Greg will back us up on this, because you'll probably know people who are like this, uh, as we do here at Talk Radio. Young people now I don't seem to be having any fun, Greg. What's it all about? Well, that's right. The uh, statisticians in the government um, uh, statistical body have looked at the lives of teenagers aged 18 today with those uh, in the year 2000, 18 years ago, right. and compared a whole set of official data on um, their longevity, uh, their behaviour in particular. And the thing that stood out for me was that um, how, how these young people today use their time compared mm. with their counterparts 18 years ago. And they are spending almost half an hour every day less socialising with people. That's going out to the pub, going out to a cafe to meet their friends, chatting with their families. They're just, they're just talking and interacting with people for half an hour less every day. And when they compare what they do instead, surprise, surprise, almost exactly the same uh, length of time more, they're spending gaming online. And so why do you think um, they're kind of looking... I mean, because we've, we've, we've been through the sort of the baby boomers, we've been through, you know, Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Y not, I think we've had as well. <laughs> um, so we've reached this kind of point of the new Puritanism, haven't we? Well, we have. I mean, part of the reason, I think, is because it's there... The, the, the sophistication of, of computer games now is, is is pretty extraordinary. They're very attractive propositions, and people can, can you know, get, I'm sure get a great deal of enjoyment out of them. And just as 18 years ago, we didn't have social media platforms in, in the way they exist now. Um, the, these opportunities weren't there. But, but they don't allow people to uh, socialise in what I would say is a more natural setting where... You bump into people and, and you chat and you have to interact. So, interestingly, when I published my story on this yesterday online, one of our readers posted underneath in defence of these video games, computer games, saying you can interact with people, you can socialise. And that's completely true. You can um, do, people do chat uh, um, to their friends or to other people. Yeah, it's not the same, though. It's is not it? the same, it's is it? It's not, going down it's the public really chat. The and some of these games, uh, as you know, allow uh, users, players, to create their own virtual worlds. They can control the whole environment in which they operate, and yeah. that's part of the attraction. And the real world is so not like that. And, and the real world is much more joyous because of it. You just get random things happening. But as you grow up, it's really important to know how to interact. When you bump into someone in a pub when you're trying to carry three pints of beer, and you have to say, 
sorry, I've spilled it down your arm. You just have to sort of learn how to avoid a confrontation over that sort of thing. But you might see someone you didn't, see, you haven't seen for one year, two years across a crowded room and go and say hello. That is real life and that's what teenagers are doing just much less of now. Mm. I think the, the, one of the interesting things to come out of this is that they're, they're less likely to drink and smoke, but they are more at risk of loneliness and mental health issues surrounding loneliness. Well, exactly. So it's, it's so not, it, they need to sort of like, you know, get out and, and interact properly rather than killing each other on Fortnite or whatever they do on that game. You're, you're quite right, I think. So, so when you talk to health professionals right across the spectrum, when you talk about people who are involved in children's welfare, the standout challenge for this generation of young people is mental health. Mm. And this is not a sort of... Um, uh, the statistics all bear this out. You have really, really alarming uh, instances of self-harm rising yes, massively, yeah. particularly among girls in their early to mid-teens. Yeah. You have um, really, really troubling statistics on eating disorders, uh, largely for young women, but increasingly for young men, some of whom will want to keep see the slim, and some of whom want to bulk up and go to the gym and are obsessed with having a mm. sort of um, super-sized body. And you have really higher levels of anxiety and depression these these are mental health conditions mm. and they are much higher than a generation ago mm. why we don't know exactly but when you look at statistics like today is saying that young people are just spending half an hour less every day chatting talking interacting normally with their friends with their family you've got to think that must be part of the reason i'm mm. wondering as well whether we're going to sort of edge towards this kind of virtual world where people have experiences but they're not real experiences they're kind of video experiences i, mean, I actually had a heard a conversation this morning uh, in the office here uh, with two two people talking about boston in massachusetts and one of them said oh yeah well boston of course was the uh, setting for that game and he mentioned some game or other uh, uh, so as if he knew boston very well from a because game he played it in a game yeah. Never actually been to Boston, no. you know, and I mean, it's a, it's a bit like I was in. I remember years and years ago, I was invited to go to Disney World, right? And they had in Florida, they had all these little mini Paris, mini uh, Peking or Beijing, as it uh, as it now became, uh, bits of London, and people were actually walking around going, "Hey, let's go over to Paris." And they'd wander over to this bit where there was a mini Eiffel Tower yes, exactly, and a little yeah. French uh, yeah. cafe and they would have a croissant and some yeah. coffee and it was almost like they'd mm. been to Paris. Mm. Mm. Yes, you're, you're quite right. I've talked to school teachers about this and. and some of them have told me they're really worried that this generation of school pupils, when when teachers take them out on a geography field trip, their basic understanding of geography and where cities are, yeah. where rivers are within England mm. is really limited. And as you say, they might have a sort of superficial familiarity with some aspects of great cities across the world, which is quite an exciting level of knowledge. But you can't really work out where the major cities of England and indeed the United Kingdom mm. are, where the major rivers, where the mountains are, it's a pretty, something's pretty lacking, isn't it? It's well, frightening, it is. it is frightening. And you you watch things like Love Island and the, the, the I young... Don't. No, no, but you should too, it's educational. But the, the, the youngsters on there, they're having conversations. No, they're having conversations and they come out of the most ridiculous, you know, yeah, oh, where's Manchester? Yeah. And they sit and I think you've gone through what, yeah. sort of like years of education in this country and well, you they don't they? know that, well, they must have done, they've gone to school, surely. Well, it didn't look like and it. And they don't know the basics of, of anything, really. I mean, certainly geography. It was just... And politics. It was frightening. Absolutely frightening. Yes. So, so people in government are worried about this. So, um, as you remember, early, earlier this year, Theresa May appointed for the first time a minister for loneliness. So Tracy Crouch, who's a minister in Has the Has she actually done anything so. or did she just sit in a room on her own <laughs> pondering, <laughs> you know, herself? I was going to say that. I mean, we keep meaning to get her on. 
No, quite right. Uh, no, I, she, she is um, uh, has been drawing up a, a strategy with departments across government, and, and I think she'll present this later in the autumn. But it's fascinating that when when you talk about an issue like loneliness, overwhelmingly people think of older people as being yes, most vulnerable yeah. to loneliness. But but this strategy will include a big strand on young people. Yeah. Um, and we've seen different um, figures to those today, but, but showing that uh, the highest instances of loneliness are among the youngest age group. Mm. And, and partly because older people are more resilient and, and, and et cetera. But this, this government plan will, I think, talk about how um, government can encourage uh, an environment in which there's more opportunities for younger people to interact through things like uh, sport, through things like um, culture, the mm. art, through volunteering. Mm. Uh, and and it'd be fascinating to see what they propose. But I think they, in government they are worried about the the, the mental well-being of young people and this uh, this need for them to connect physically as well mm. as in these virtual worlds. They could actually be the first generation of youngsters to be encouraged to go to the pub, as opposed to <laughs> don't drink. It's bad well, for yeah, you. Well, probably, you probably, you know, you probably end up with that kind of, uh, you know, reverse ferret effect going yeah. on because they've been told not to do all these things. Yeah. They've been told over and over again, Greg, that yeah. this is bad for you. That's bad for you. I mean, I dare say you'll you'll say it's a good thing that they're not smoking uh, in the numbers that they once were. Um, but I mean, is this actually a, a study which which fits everyone, or is it a kind of does it does, does it one size fit? Or is it only a certain section of young people? Because obviously, if you go to some parts of Britain, uh, you'll see an awful lot of drug abuse going on with with young people, and quite a lot of smoking and quite a lot of drinking. Listen, I've, I've got teenage children, and, and um, uh, I live in the real world. The idea that young people today aren't drinking is for the birds. What well, they, they do drink <laughs> in a very different, very different way. So, so the big thing now, as I'm sure you know, is when they go out. Um, for an evening, they have the pre-drinks and they all come come around to someone's house, you know, some student flat or whatever, and they they have all this vocabulary, the, the pre-loading and this sort yep. of thing, and they drink drink just to get uh, drunk before they go to a nightclub or wherever they're going. Um, and they, they don't do it every night. They, they do it sort of sporadically to make a big night of things. Mm. And that is a very different behaviour to a generation ago. So so don't buy all this stuff, as I'm sure you don't, that this generation don't drink, but they drink in a different way. And it can be quite harmful if you if you um, deliberately get together with your friend, friends and in order to load up because so, you don't want to buy expensive drinks at the nightclub, you're more at risk of, of just losing control. And then one of the real, the real risk for young people at that age is not sort of necessarily damage to their liver, but it's, it's having an accident when you just lose control of yourself because you've had so much to drink. Mm. And so, so that's the difference in behaviour, I think. Yeah, or you find yourself in a, in, a, in a difficult and maybe dangerous situation. I mean, according to the study uh, and your piece in The Times, young people are living about two years longer uh, at the start of the millennium. Uh, they were going to live till 85.1, uh, but it's now gone up to uh, 87.7. Well, so, it's because they're not drinking. It just feels like they're living well, longer. Well, I know, exactly. <laughs> and also, that will be more of a strain on the old pension system, won't it, if they're living longer? Mm. Well, yeah, the, the, I, I love the fact that 59% of them drink less than the older generation and 44%... That's just you that drinking yeah. less and, and they're embarrassed by us lot because we drink too much. And that, yes. Certainly, this generation can expect to live, uh, on average, is about two years longer, even, even than um, uh, their counterparts 18 years ago. And we will have, um, uh, in time, over, over two generations, fewer people working, more people living in retirement. And that will be a challenge for 
um, public services and who pays for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. indeed. Yeah. And I mean, interestingly, on the same page as your piece uh, in The Times today, there's a piece by your media correspondent, Matthew Moore, about how Facebook is suffering a midlife crisis. I mean, here we are already into the kind of second generation uh, social media because apparently Facebook's no longer cool enough for anybody under the age of about 25 because their parents yeah. are all on it. I mean, mum's on Facebook, all, my mum. Exactly. They've yeah. all, they've all, they, they, they've all gone to Instagram and Snapchat. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they wouldn't be seen dead yeah. on on Facebook quite right yeah and I would just like to point out linking the two subjects that yeah. my mum is on Facebook and she's very capable of handling her own mobile phone is without she... complaining that it's too big for her yeah but maybe she's on a small phone though <laughs> no she's got she's got one that's nearly as big as yours is that right yeah, yeah. well there we are hmm. well listen thank you Greg thank you very much thank indeed you. social affairs editor at the times the independent republic of Mike Graham on talk radio it is 12.33 very nearly it is Friday so it must be time for this 2018 Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. That's right, it's Friday, which means two things. Our producer, Cornelius, who is of the generation where he doesn't do stiff drinks or smoking or pun, is in need of a stiff drink. He doesn't know where his heritage is either. <laughs> this is what we cast our ears back across the past five days of the so-called Independent Republic of So-called. Cool. So-called, yeah, because I'm here, it's not independent. Um, and choose our favourite moments. So let's find out who has bagged a precious perrier of this week. Our first winner is, I wonder, possibly Mike? Thank yep. goodness. Uh, the show's resident lexicographer, as he wins the award for Word of the Week. I mean, you know, if you're looking for a bonking Boris story, you want to find out who the bonky is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, there is a bonky in a bonky There is story. a bonky. And, she was and a, a bonker, uh, Yeah, and she was a blonde bonky, which Indeed. makes it even more offensive yeah. to women. It does. Any Not case. alliteration, though. Yeah, yeah. Buh, 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 buh. Right, so let's move swiftly on. The Ceremony's namesake wins the next award. Katie Perry gets the gong for the best memory for this excellent plug to one of our brilliant weekend shows. Better off listening to talk radio. Yes. Everyone from TV is coming here. Do you know that? That's because Matthew it's Wright's where it's here. at. Eamon Holmes is here. So you don't watch him on TV anymore. Jeremy, what's his face? Jeremy Kyle. That's it. <laughs> Jeremy Watts' face. It could have been Jeremy Corbyn. It could have been Jeremy Corbyn. I think he's coming here anytime soon. (laughs) No, definitely not. Um, What about Jeremy Vine? um, Yeah. You never know. Well, yeah, I I think I'm working with him soon as well. Oh, are you? Well, thanks for giving that a plug. Sorry, look, I didn't say in what capacity. I didn't say in which capacity. I'd much rather be here with you, Mike, obviously. Of course. Uh, right, any, change. <laughs> Mike wins. <laughs> you, you tried to slap me earlier, for God's sake. Uh, Mike wins the next perrier for best summary of this show. We've run massively over time uh, with that ridiculous argument. Lisa O'Sullivan, thank you very much indeed. TalkSport's tennis correspondent <laughs> will bring you some more nonsense in the next hour. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't say we don't deliver. No, we do. <laughs> Not necessarily on time. And no. we have been talking rubbish this morning, literally. Mike, as ever, is on a roll this week, although he'll have to share his next award with Katie. Together, joint, woo, they get the Perry Award for most riveting conversation. Back to uh, Carrie Simmons, by the way. Cause are we going said, back there, are we? Well, when he said the word bad apples, it just suddenly reminded me of it because apparently she's known as apples. She's got lovely, lovely. She's got apple-y type yeah, cheeks. She has. You know? Very pretty. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. This is talk radio. <laughs> Well, you kind of know what we mean there, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was honestly very riveting. Riveting. Yes. riveting apples. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, right, OK. Time for us to stop being so selfish and have one out to you listeners. Mike in York, congratulations. You in the Perrier for the highest-pitched answer. You know, we had the right atmosphere. Mm. Um, I mean, it's it's all in the end, thing. it's all a kind of a happy medium, really, isn't it? It is. 
<laughs> what, what, what happened? I don't then? know. I, mean... I think somebody goosed him <laughs> at the right moment. Oh, right. Uh, Jim and Ayrshire, blimey. You win the next perio for best correction of the week. So they don't, I mean, presumably it's well as then becomes their word against yours, right? That's your word against yours. <laughs> I did think about saying something about that. But I, I thought, yeah, I no, not. leave it. I'm leave in it. trouble already. Yeah, there is enough time yeah. to leave it. Right, now, I'm humbly going to award myself a Perrier. Okay. Yay. I got three last week. Very good Go of ahead. you. Yeah, it's the award for most agreeable comment of the week. I must say, I love your show. Thank and you. I like I like the pairing of male and female, you know, I really do. It, it seems good. to work. <laughs> it does, it's good, yeah. It, well, you bounce off of each other, you yes. get the male and the female um, sort I, of record. I, I don't want to bounce off Mike, thank you no. very much. Very kind. Thanks anyway. Once again, lowering the tone. It would be quite bouncy, though, wouldn't it, to be fair? Well, you can ask somebody if you want. Move on. Right. uh, Euphemism of the week. Hey, there's a link here. Back to you, Mike, and you've won this one. Best euphemism of the week. We will hear from the South Yorkshire Police head, uh, who was on Julia Hartley Brewer's show this morning, uh, getting himself torn, uh, what can only be described as a new uh, piece of apparatus. Well, you know when you get halfway through something and you think, I can't really finish this. Excuse me, young man, when it comes to lowering the tone... Yeah, but I recovered it, though. Don't need any help No, but I recovered it, thank you very much. Right. Oh, oh, what a surprise. You're also going to get the period for best reaction. Quite right. Coming up, I'm going to be asking you whether you fell in love with your husband because he had the same colour eyes as your old man, Ah, meaning your father. yeah. And the same hair. Well, and you and your missus, likewise. Which one? Yeah, I didn't uh, do myself any favours there, to be fair. No, no, we didn't, no. So no. Let's, let's move swiftly on. OK. Right, uh, stick with this one, folks. Quentin Wilson, motoring journalist, wins the Worth the Weight Award. A bit of controversy about the the sort of planned site that they're doing for that. Have you have you seen those plans or whether you'll, you'll think they'll, they'll work on the roads? Oh, I think I might have lost oh, him. we might have Is lost Quentin, never mind, not to worry. <laughs> maybe uh, it was me saying it was an unfair question. <laughs> yes, well, maybe that's right, but uh, we've almost come to the end anyway. Quentin, thank you very much indeed. Quentin Wilson, uh, a fair fuel campaigner as well uh, as motoring a journalist. We'll have, uh, take some calls on that as well, please. Oh, three. Uh, oh, sorry, Quentin's back, I think. Oh, yay. Yeah, let's finish yeah, it. sorry. What was so the question? So the question is about the expressway, yeah? Yes, which, which was announced, the, the site of it between Oxford and Cambridge um, was announced yesterday at this conference. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on the plans. No, not really, because I haven't heard that <laughs> announcement. <laughs> Tremendous. What a complete waste of about four minutes of radio what, time. What else could he say after that? I know. Right? Oh, dear. I mean, he might as well not come back on if he I knew know. what the question was <laughs> no. and he knew that he didn't know the answer. Right. No. He should have just said no <laughs> before to the producer, shouldn't he? Yeah, well, you'd have thought so, yeah. yeah. And finally, I love this one. Congra- congratulations to Rachel Jewell. Her brilliant Jagabomb drinking newsreader wins the Perrier for moment of the week for this slip-up, which we've been listening to over and over again in the office. A member of Russian protest group Pussy Riot. (laughs) By the way, um, I think we should hear that one again. A member of Russian protest group Pussy Riot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dearie me. Oh, poor Rachel. Do you just want to uh, uh, pronounce the uh, Jager bomb word again, please, for us? Why? Did I say it wrong? Yeah, you did. Well, no, I'll go say it again then, haven't I? You said Jager bomb. Well, I don't know. I don't drink the damn thing. I'll leave that to Rachel. For heaven's sake, how can you have lived a life in Fleet Street and never had a Jager bomb? I know, and I'm more sophisticated than that, obviously. I had no idea. I know. Honestly, I've never had one. I've never ordered one. Really? Nope. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to walk straight out of here. I'm going to take you straight down the bar, and we're going to get you three Jager bombs lined up straight away, and you're going to stuck them straight down. Right, yeah, fine. What do you reckon? Can I have a pint instead, please, Mike? Pint of Jager bomb? I don't want that.
<laughs> I won't be responsible for getting you home after that. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.